0: You're listening to The Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to this episode of The Hard Men Podcast. We have a very special guest today. We have Mr. Zach Garris. Zach is the author of the book, Masculine Christianity which I've just reviewed on the last episode of the podcast. Zach, it's good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Eric. Well, Zach, it's interesting because uh, I, you know, in the last episode, I talked about how you had sent me your book, and we've talked a little bit uh, about the book since then. One of the things that intrigued me, I, I told you originally when we talked um, and have thought more about it, is this topic of patriarchy is not one that is, you know, mainstream, right? Patriarchy is often considered a four-letter word in the culture and really dealing with anything biblical sexuality is as well. So I'm curious just some of your story and background, how you got into the subject matter.
1: In college, I started reading complementarian literature, you know, John Piper, Wayne Grudem. And I think just over the years, reading the Bible more, Uh, Reading maybe Doug Wilson and uh, just thinking over some of these issues myself, I just came to realize there were some deficiencies in complementarianism, especially amongst those advocating a more narrow uh, approach, narrow complementarianism. And so, yeah, just patriarchy, patriarchy seemed to be the, you know, biblical historic view.
0: Was there, was there a moment like when you realized? I, I know this happened for me because I, I grew up reading Piper and Grudem. And, you know, at some point, I, I don't remember when it was, but it was like a just this kind of Damascus Road experience where I was like, wait, maybe this isn't right. Like maybe there's something else on the other side of complementarianism. Was there anything that you were reading or a, a particular season when you remember that moment happening?
1: I mean, some of it honestly is, has been within the last, you know, few years. Where, I mean, I can at least think of like some, some biblical passages I've read uh, complementarian books about uh, and just realizing that, you know, they're, they're drifting away from, you know, historic interpretations. I mean, I, I have a whole chapter in there on First Corinthians 14. And uh, right. so, so that's one passage that really stuck out to me the more I studied it, especially even, you know, as I was writing the book. Um, but I think I noticed just some some language uh, that just didn't didn't sit right. But, but also noticing that I, th- I think a big thing I would notice is complementarians would often shy away from uh, applying gender roles to the civil realm or, or anywhere outside of home and church. And so that, that always struck me as kind of inconsistent.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other thing that interests me, Zach, is sort of your background. So, uh, you went to RTS, uh, you're a lawyer. Maybe just talk a little bit about those things um, and how that sort of shaped where you are today.
1: Sure. Well, I attended seminary at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, RTS has a few different campuses. Uh, The Jackson campus is. Pretty conservative. It, it was the uh, initial campus, and uh, you know I, I benefited, uh, you know, significantly from my time there, and uh, you know gave me a lot of tools. I would say to help me in, in life, including writing writing this book. Um, I later attended law school, and uh, you know that I passed the bar, and I'm a practicing attorney now. Uh, you know, law school is useful for a variety of reasons. It does help you, I think, argue clearly and, and you know, kind of refine your arguments. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about today was the. OK, so I get a lot of response. I have recommended your book. I've also uh, obviously, have this podcast and have addressed a lot of issues with biblical sexuality. One of the biggest questions I get from people is, "Okay, I've shared your material in seminary or in my church, and now I'm under church discipline. What do I do?" Um, so, I'm curious your experience with seminary. Did any of these issues come up, and, and did you have issues either with your churches or with the seminary as you were delving deeper into into these issues of biblical? sexuality and patriarchy?
1: I mean, I personally haven't had any experience when I was in seminary uh, that sticks out, uh, mostly because, like I said, it it was a pretty conservative uh, environment. Um, But I I mean, in the churches, I think it's more my experiences, you know, in the the PCA, that's, I'm a member in the Presbyterian Church in America, and they tend to be, you know, complementarian of course, but uh, just kind of the way they maybe treat some of the biblical passages. They, they just don't always talk about gender roles often. I th- That tends to be my experience is the more they avoid things. I haven't gotten myself into too much trouble yet, uh, but but we'll see. Uh, years ago, I was a part of the Reformed Church in America, the RCA, and, and they were pretty liberal. And so uh, this did, this did get me into some trouble there. Uh, you know, when, when I had a, I had an interview one time in the ordination process and I was asked about my views on, on, uh, women pastors and, uh, you know, so they're just, they're just outright feminists, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, curious as well on the book, just overall, what the response has been so far. I know it's a fairly new book, um, but have you had a lot of people respond to you? I've uh, say purchased it, read it, and and what has that feedback feedback been like so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've gotten you know mostly positive feedback so far. I think the challenge is most of the people reading it are those who are you know interested in patriarchy. So you know, listeners of your podcast right. or you know s- s- some other podcasts like uh, It's Good to Be a Man. Uh, but it tends to be the case, and I mean, I'm a, a hopeful. It, it doesn't continue, but I tend to think, uh, you know, complementarians in general will just ignore my book.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting, I think, to see if there will be uh, much engagement there. Of course, one of the one of the strategies I've found with like big evangelicalism and a lot of the more prominent figures is like they just put you in the cone of silence. And it's sort of like that. You're not even worthy of a response. Um, so it'll it'll be interesting, I think, to see what that response has been like. I, I personally I found it encouraging that there is an interest in patriarchy. Um, certainly if you're on Twitter, uh once the feminists find you, as Michael Foster and and some other people have discovered, like it's it's kinda like piranhas in the water, right? They're um they can be pretty rabid. But again, there's kind of been encouragement that, you know, people are hungry for this. And, um, you know, in particular, and this is the next thing I want to address, really coming awake to the fact that maybe there was something wrong with complementarianism. Um, I, I did a podcast about that. Then I read your book. I was like, oh, my gosh, Zach does such a good job of unpacking it. So one of the questions I have for you is, you know, complementarians, as you mentioned earlier, they're happy to say that like these biblical roles apply to like the pulpit and the home. So these two spheres. But really what sphere comes into question, right, is the civil. Um, So I'd like for you to just unpack that. Why is that so important biblically? And why is it important for us as a church to address uh, the civil sphere and gender roles in it?
1: Yeah, I think the the civil sphere is important. Uh, For one, it's a big part of life. Uh, and, uh, part of it's just consistency is, you know, if the church says gender roles only apply in the home and in the church, I mean, what does that do for the rest of life? It, it, it makes it look like, you know, there's this dichotomy, I guess, the spiritual, you know, physical dichotomy, uh, and these things don't matter out there. And right. so it just it just comes across as inconsistent. I, I think there's, you know, deeper things going on, including the fact that complementarians don't or at least tend not to root gender roles in nature and in male and female nature and biology. And so I think that plays a part. If, if we can get into that more. But, um, yeah, it, it essentially seems like complementarians are leaving the civil sphere to the domain of the feminists.
0: Yeah, that, that's a great point. So if you're unpacking that for some people, uh, one of the questions, as I've gotten a lot of, is, so does that mean that a woman couldn't or shouldn't be president? Um, Zach, I have to know, did you vote for Biden and Kamala Harris in hopes that Kamala would be the president? Did you do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, so in that situation... A lot of people, uh, even in the church, they will, because they haven't received teaching on it, right? They will say, okay, listen, that was, you know, the stuff you're espousing, Zach, that's like 200 years old. We're living in the world of 2020. Why can't a woman be president? So, how would you respond to them?
1: Well, I think first I would say that. Gender roles are rooted in in nature. So when we look at the way God has designed men and women, uh, it's different. They have different functions and duties. And we well, see. Well,
0: first of all, Zach, how dare you? That's <laughs> all I have to say to that. Yes, continue.
1: <laughs> That's right. I can't even. I can't even make observations. Uh, <laughs> no. So you know when you look at the creation account, this is clear. Uh, you know the difference between Adam and Eve. Adam was to work and keep the garden, and Eve was uh, his helper. And particularly, she had the role of bearing children. And, of course, that's obvious in nature. We we see the differences between men and women, you know, in their, their bodies. And that plays into all of life. So it's not just the home and the church, though there are role distinctions there. Uh, But it's also uh, beyond the church. You know, a woman is still a woman when she is, you know, in the civil sphere. And so uh, part of it's just the, the differing, you know, natures of men and women. But I think you can also, you know, make the additional argument that, you know, if a woman cannot rule in her own household and cannot rule in the church, you know, on what basis can she then rule over men, you know, in the civil
0: sphere? Right. Yeah, it's interesting, too. And I mean, you make a phenomenal point. Uh, that was one of the, the key takeaways I had was, yeah, exactly what you said. If if she's not allowed to rule over her own husband, how then can she go in the civil sphere and rule over everyone else's husband, including her own? My, my question is, why do you think this is not addressed by the church? And... As I asked that question, you mentioned this before about the PCA and some other denominations are going to be the same. I think a lot of people in the church that where I've been a part of is like they might agree with you, but you never heard explicit teaching on on that. Um, every now and then someone like John Piper would say, I don't know if being a, a police officer is the best thing for a woman, and then, you know, people would be up in arms and there would sort of be a retreat. But why do you think the church is not clearly teaching on, on, say, an issue like gender roles in the civil space?
1: I mean, at root, I think they're afraid. I think, you know, this is clearly a controversial issue in our, you know, feminist society, and they're scared of, you know, being called sexist or a bigot, uh, told they hate women or, you know, something ridiculous like that. And so I, I think, you know, unfortunately the church tends to shy away from Gender rules, you know, in general, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fine if we say, you know, in our own little circles, uh, you know, we can only have male pastors, but that doesn't affect unbelievers, you know? Right. So it's more controversial to say, actually, even you guys out there, you know, shouldn't be having women run for office.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so it's more controversial. So just to summarize, Zach, what I've heard you say is that you hate women (laughs) and you don't think that they're equal to men. Is that right? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But it is interesting too. One of the things I'll I'll say about the book that I really appreciated was that um, even in John Piper and Wayne Grudem's book, which is, I've called it a halfway house, right? But- even in their book, they start off from like this apologetic note, like, we know that men have beat women in the past, and we know that women have suffered great abuse, and we also love single people, desperately. And, and then they start to unpack, in a sort of like ham-fisted way, start to unpack some biblical principles. Um, one of the things, again, that you didn't do in this book was you just like, this is patriarchy, this is biblical gender role. And sexuality—it's from scripture. Was there a conscious thought of like, look, I'm not going to start with an apology. Um, I'm not going to start on my heels on the defensive uh, with those sort of positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, just in one sense, I don't think there's anything to apologize for. <laughs> so I didn't. I uh, I think we need to just come out and affirm scripture.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a really really good point. Um, and it's interesting too. I mean, I, I wonder if you've seen this, but like with patriarchy where sort of the common conception of patriarchy, even among those in the church is basically, uh, all the things that are caricatures and not what patri. I've never heard someone actually teach. So for example, like, you know, women don't have any say in their marriage. They don't get to have opinions, thoughts. They're not real people uh their doormats for their husbands. I've never actually heard that taught, but I hear a lot of feminists say that's what patriarchy teaches. Have you encountered this um in in, you know, writing the book and in particular have you seen it at all in the church?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the word patriarchy is certainly associated with uh male abuse of women. Uh so they don't like the word. But, but even the concept, like you said, they mischaracterize it all the time as if there's there's kind of this assumption out there that, you know, men in the past just treated women cruelly. And right. uh, instead of, you know, the obvious fact, if you study history and read, you know, Christian theologians of old, that they, they deeply cared about women. And their own wives, you know, all of these men had mothers, wives, sisters, daughters. I mean, to act like they didn't care about women is just absurd.
0: Right. Yeah. The historical record uh, certainly doesn't bear that out. One of the other things I want to ask you about and a connection that I've made in the past is the connection between feminism and Marxism and particularly their hatred of hierarchies. Um, what kind of triggered this for me is, of course, if you listen to Black Lives Matter or feminism, uh, any of the movements that are prominent today, you're going to hear like this anti-hierarchical language. Uh, if Jordan Peterson's on with a feminist on some YouTube channel and he mentions hierarchy, you know, her head explodes and uh, this sort of thing. But it's interesting because one of the clearest arguments about what patriarchy was that I first came across was an early essay by Frederick Ingalls. And in that essay he tried to rewrite history to say that history was not actually patriarchal, hierarchies needed to be torn down and that, you know, sort of like this polyamorous sexual world was kind of how the world started. Um it, so it fascinates me. I wonder if in all your research, I know you spent several years researching the book and preparing to to write it, but Have you seen this connection between Marxism, feminism, and the hatred of hierarchy?
1: Yeah, I I would also add, though, I think it goes deeper than that. I I would even say that, you know, one of the key differences between, you know, those who I would say are on the the right today, you know, politically speaking, or on the left, that one of the key differences is hierarchy versus egalitarianism. And I try to really make that point in the book is, you know, there's there's more to it than just gender roles, though, you know, gender roles are, you know, an important part of hierarchy. And, yeah, leftism and and Marxism being a form of that, uh, they hate hierarchy. But hierarchy is essential to Christian society. You know, God created this to be a hierarchical world. Uh, God, of course, has hierarchy. He's at the top. You know, He's created humans, and He's given us authority structures uh, within human society. We have uh, right. authority structures in the home, in the church, and society at large. So these these are good things to be embraced. And yet, you have leftism that is attacking hierarchy at every uh, in every sphere, and uh, you know. Feminism is just one form.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, Zach, your thoughts on this. What I think you're absolutely right. Uh, what do you think is the end game for destroying hierarchy? And I ask that because I don't actually think feminist like feminists. I don't think or Marxists. I don't think they actually want to destroy hierarchy. I think they want to replace who's at the top of it. But yeah, I'm just curious your read on on where is that. Where are they trying to take us with the anti-hierarchical language?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. There's, you know, there's always going to be hierarchy, and so, you know, these egalitarian movements, they just want somebody else at the top. Uh, so that that's that's at least how it will work out. You know, with Marxism, right? You know, there's there's still there's just evil dictator uh, uh, running things. So um, I, I don't know what their end game is. I mean, I think. I think uh, all of these forms of egalitarianism are, you know, rebellion against God, and so I think that's just a big part of their motivation. Is they're, uh, you know, they're opposed to Christianity, and uh, you know, I, at least it looks like they want chaos. I mean, <laughs> that's that's the alternative to you know bibl- biblical hierarchy.
0: Yeah, I, I I do think it's interesting. I, I was sort of on the same train of thought, um, as you were saying that, um, that's something that, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson in in espousing hierarchy and some of the, you know, Western, what he would call Judeo-Christian values, um, in espousing those things, right, his 12 rules for life, and then the subtitle is like an antidote for chaos. So whether intended or not, I think that's the end result. Um, is that the feminist, egalitarian, Marxist kind of movements, whichever one you want to pick, they all sort of lead to chaos. Uh, chaos is not good. and it's interesting to me in Scripture because, like in Titus, Paul tells Titus that there's chaos in the church, and so what does he do? He tells him to appoint elders who are wise, effective fathers. And so this is what fathers do is they create order in a world of chaos. So even as you know, feminism is pushing toward chaos, in my mind, I'm saying, okay, well, that all the more so, that means that patriarchy and wise father rule is going to be the, the answer and the way that we establish, uh, establish order. It, it's also interesting, and, and I want to ask you about this at kind of more of a personal level. Where I've seen feminism take root, both in the church and in people's lives, In general, like I look at those marriages and they're pretty miserable. I've never seen like a a feminist egalitarian marriage and thought, wow, they're really thriving. Um, They're really flourishing in their relationship with one another. Um, So I'm curious what you've seen sort of at the practical level where feminism takes root in relationships and churches.
1: Yeah, I think I've had the same experience, you know, looking at feminist marriages or a lot of them, you know, end up in divorce. I think that's, uh, you know, there's a strong association with, you know, the feminist mindset. Uh, the, the woman eventually just ends up discarding the man. Right. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the strongest marriages I know are patriarchal, whether they use that word to describe it or not. Uh, you know, in practice, that's, that's how they function.
0: Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point. Um, I also want to ask you about this, Zach. The, um, I don't know why you did this in your book. Um, I think it's just a heinous, horrible thing to do, but you made fun of Wonder Woman. Um, and uh, there's a section, so I'm I'm towards the end of the book, but there's a section in here that where you talk about the celebration in our culture of women warriors. So I want you to unpack that for me. Um, of course, some of the Hollywood, as I've mentioned, Wonder Woman. Uh, why why is that significant? What is it? and uh, why is that significant for for how our culture views women?
1: Yeah, well, Wonder Woman is this you know feminist icon, and uh, you know she's a a woman superhero. she's you know, stands out because most of the superheroes are men. And yet here you have uh, this woman who is, you know, fighting people and uh, you know, has superpowers. And uh, we even have, uh, you know, movies now, Wonder Woman. I think there's a new one coming out. Yeah, uh, it's like
0: the 1980 version or something.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, she's symbolic of feminism. Uh, But uh, I think Wonder Woman stands out because she's doing something that is distinctively masculine, which is, you know, combat. And uh, I mean, so that ties in with the whole issue of women in, in combat today and uh, that whole debate, which I address in that same section of the book. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think the, the fact that Wonder Woman is popular and that there's movies being made about her, uh, I mean, this is a celebration of women in combat, women warriors. And so I think that's significant. And I think it's important that Christians reject that. And that we we recognize that uh, this is a distortion of God's
0: creation. So uh, if you had, I don't know if you have a daughter. um, Do you have children, Zach? I have a son. Okay. So let's say you have a 13-year-old daughter and she comes home and she says, I don't know where she's coming home from, youth group maybe. And she says to you, Dad, I want to be Wonder Woman for Halloween. This is going to tell me two things about you, Zach. Either you're living out what this book says, or you're crazy. What I mean, how do you address that? And how and because I, here's the deal, Zach like, a lot of people, like, it's one thing to address these things on paper, but like, your kids, you, you know, your female friends, your male friends are like, Hey, you're hanging out together, and they're like, Oh, did you see the new Wonder Woman? It was fantastic. It was amazing. Girl power, whatever. Like, you, you right? You have to address these issues at, at the familial, personal, relational level level, right?
1: I agree. I I think, you know, if we're going to be consistent then we have to uh be able to tell people that we, you know, ha- have a problem with Wonder Woman. And so yeah, I think you should be able to tell your daughter, "Look, I understand, you know, you know Wonder Woman is this female superhero, but you know, that's just not how it's supposed to be." Uh, you know, I'm just going to offend people, but you know, th- it gives you an opportunity to explain these things, explain Uh, the goodness of God's uh, design and uh, differing design of men and women.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that you bring up in the book continually is uh, having more of a love for the truth than you have an aversion for offending people. Um, The truth, even when spoken in love, is going to be offensive. Speaking of which, I'm going to quote you here. And uh, also toward the end of the book, you say this, The I can't stay at home attitude common to many modern women is ungodly. How dare you, Zach? It's ungodly, and those who hold it should repent. Zach, I am confused here. Are you saying that this is sin? If someone has to repent, you're saying it's sin? What if what Zach, what if they're made for career woman mode? I know this may shock people, but yes, I I think
1: to (laughs) to violate God's design for the genders is sinful.
0: What? Yeah, I know ah! it's mind-blowing. How can this possibly be?
1: Yeah, and and you know that this is a common attitude amongst women. I mean, I've seen it. Uh I've heard it from a lot of Christian women. Uh oh, I can't stay at home. That's that's just uh it's going to be too stressful or I I need to be away from my kids and, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I was going to say it's a um it's one of those attitudes, I think, that is not often addressed in the local church. Um, And and this is something I want to ask you about because it gets to be sort of a touchy subject. Um, Obviously, there are people who struggle with infertility, but that's probably not the majority of reasons like people in the church aren't having children, aren't staying at home. It's generally because their career is taking a a larger priority, particularly if it's it's the woman. Um, But how how should pastors, right? We have many pastors who listen to this show. How should pastors deal with women who say things like, I, I can't stay at home, or I just don't want many children because I want to be able to go on vacations and retire early. Um, how would you uh, address these issues in the life of the body?
1: Yeah, this is a important topic. I think, you know, this is maybe one of the most controversial things, you know, I even write about in the book, and it's one of the reasons that pastors don't like to address gender roles very often is that our churches are just filled with career women. And so you're going to offend right. tons of people and uh but but the reason that's happening is because the church has abdicated its responsibility. Pastors have not been teaching on these issues for a long time and the culture is telling women to go act like men, you know, they, they say a career, you know, if you don't have a career, then, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's far more important than, than being at home. Um, and so I, I think a big part of this, uh, of the solution is pastors have to address, uh, you know, gender roles in general. So, more than just the, the issue of women having careers, you, you need the foundational issues of God's design, but also the goodness of children. And I think that's a big uh, component here is that our society, including the church, does not value children very highly. And, right. you know, there's a reason there's a strong correlation between women, you know, getting an extended education, you know, uh, master's degrees, etc., uh, going into careers, those women tend not to have a lot of children. You know, there's, I've seen the studies, you know, the chart of the more education the women have, the, the fewer kids they have. Um, and it's not that there's a problem with women as, women's education. You know, that's, education is a great thing, but they're trading these things. They're trading career, you know, for children, or children for a career. And so they're having fewer children. So if women value children, uh, they're going to think of that as, uh, you know, a high calling. Motherhood is a high calling, you know, to have a lot of children, to want to raise them. And uh, I mean, there's more to it as far as, you know, helping their husbands. Uh, but I think motherhood is just denigrated today. It's, it's not thought of very highly. Uh, It is a job, it's work, and uh, it's, you know, more important than a career.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the issues in the church in particular. Um, I can remember uh, when my wife and I were dating, we were both in our late teen years, 16, 17, I think we started dating, Um, but it was an issue because like we wanted to get married And, you know, parents and people in the church were basically like, look, no, you need to put your career first. You can get married in five or six years, Um, you know, once you've accomplished all of those things. And uh, no one in my wife's family had, on the female side, had graduated from college. And that was seen as like, oh, my God, we're, you know, backwater Arkansas or something. Sorry, backwater Arkansas people. I didn't mean it that way. But, you know, like they think you're these you know, hick from the sticks and somehow it's inferior. When in fact, it was like, I looked back on that and it was like, well, starting a family and raising your family in the fear of the Lord is the greatest thing you could ever do. So, you know, I would always, I always think back on that and I say, well, why aren't we as a church celebrating that? Why aren't we encouraging young women and men um, in that direction? And then related to it, I think that's one of the reasons we, you know, we're we're promoting career, we're pushing off marriage, and then we wonder why our teenagers from like 17 to 25, like people are in their peak sexual hormonal years, they're not married, they're not having children, and we're like, oh my gosh, all this rampant sin. How did we get here? Right? It's It seems like as a church, we have to change our view of early adulthood.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's funny because, I mean we have a really simple solution to this problem, right? It's just encouraging, uh, you know, women and, and men to marry younger and right. uh, to not, you know, go into extensive education. Um, and so I think really that's, that's why I say it's just at the end of the day, uh, pastors are just fearful of speaking on these issues. Um, and so, I mean, that's partly why I wrote this book. I, we need to encourage pastors, uh, you know, look, this is what the scriptures say. And like you said, this is, this is a great thing. Motherhood's a high calling. And uh, we need to train our people in these things. Uh, they're getting trained in feminism all day. You know, they go to the university, public schools, whatever, whatever they're in. That's all they're taught. Uh, the church needs to teach um, uh, an alternative biblical worldview.
0: Yeah, that's uh, something that you bring up in, I think, the last chapter, Leaving a Manly Legacy, but um, really that what you're espousing in this book is an alternative worldview to what's being taught in the culture and in much of the church with egalitarianism. And so it's 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 not just a few amendments here and there, uh, but it's actually a radically different uh, worldview. Um, and I think as people read the book, they'll start to see that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, you have a section in the end here and you talk about the, it says the women will follow and I'm quoting you now. It says, if the, if the men act like men, the women will follow. This is because women are naturally attracted to masculine men and Christian women are particularly attracted to godly masculinity. So I want to ask you this, Zach, it seems if, if that's true, and I believe it is, one of the biggest problems and why we got to a position of outright feminism in the church is because of the abdication of men. Um, do you think that's true and how so?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's, it's, you know, problems with both the men and the women. Um, you know, you say the abdication of men, there, there are a lot of men who aren't taking responsibility. Um, they're not taught, you know, <laughs> what scripture says about being a man, about uh, taking responsibility, exercising authority, um, you know, getting a job, providing for a, a wife and family. Um, but I, I think part of that is, you know, the, the problem with the women in the church is their fathers didn't teach them this stuff. And right. so I, I think that's a big problem is, you know, if, even if, if you're a godly man today, single guy. You know, it can be hard to find a, a good conservative Christian girl. And uh, yeah, a lot of that is pastors haven't been teaching on this stuff, but their fathers have essentially raised feminists.
0: Right. Yeah. And that that, that creates a huge problem. Um, and I want to ask you about this and uh, a few more questions and then we'll wrap this up. But um, so much of this this topic of the sexual marketplace, dating uh both men and women i think being frustrated uh, as you mentioned I, and i hear this all the time but both sides right men are like i can't find a godly woman women are like i can't find a guy who's worth a darn um it, so it goes both ways but it seems to me that this is responsible for a lot of the rise of the red pill movement um I'm curious how familiar you are with the, kind of the red pill guys, Rollo Tomasi. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that.
1: You know, I don't have too much to say. I've, I've read some articles by uh, uh, Tomasi and, uh, but I've never really been steeped in, in the manosphere or whatever they call it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these guys are coming at things from a uh, more secular uh, approach it seems and yeah. uh, you know so uh, obviously they, they might have some good things to say but there's some serious deficiencies and uh, you know I think scripture provides us a uh, better way
0: yeah it's interesting because I think it, in the end it leads to a lot of animosity um, almost like where these men in the red pill movement like hate women um, I know that it's kind of Depend on you know, who you're talking to and, and what about. But um, yeah, I, I would just encourage guys uh, who may be sort of in the red pill. Uh, if you haven't read Zach's book, I would encourage you to check it out because it's going to ground you in scripture and not just like the angst of secular society and the frustration of getting dumped 12 times by a feminist. So that, that's probably more helpful. Um, the other thing I want to do is I've got a few uh, reader Q&As. I just let some people know on Patreon that we would be doing this interview. So I've got two questions for you, and we can kind of delve into them. They're, They're related to what we've been talking about. So the first question is from Jordan, and he says this. He says, I'm a single man in age 30. I mentioned this to provide context for my question. Where do you find a single woman in her 20s or 30s Who would agree with this worldview of biblical patriarchy and roles rooted in nature? Where is the church or denomination? What you have asserted so far are ideas that I've been led to and convicted on through scripture and through sort of my own red pill experience. It's been my experience that it's a lonely position, and I think he's referring to patriarchy here, to hold. For example, beyond personal relationships, my Christian university was radically feminist, egalitarian, and anti-patriarchy. They permitted same-sex relationships among students two years after I graduated, and the, the irony of it all was that their motto was God first. So that's the first question. I think what he's asking, Zach, is how do you encourage single people? Like, Where do you find somebody who's going to believe these things?
1: This is a tough uh, issue. I mean, I, I had trouble in my own life uh, You know, before I met my wife. It's, it's hard to find good godly women um, and, uh, you know, especially a woman that embraces male headship in the home and, and things like that. So I think really what you're looking for, ultimately, you don't necessarily need a woman who calls herself a you know, patriarchalist or something, but uh, a woman who loves God, loves his word and submits to scripture. I find mm. that, that that's the key. If they submit to the word of God, you know, these things will play out, uh, even if they have a lot of feminist, uh, uh, you know, influences around them. Sadly, I think Christian universities are probably not uh, the best place to find conservative uh, Christian women anymore. Um, Public universities are a lost cause, Uh, even in the Christian groups often. I, I think you just have to go to conservative churches are your best place uh, conservative reform churches, but even then they're, you know, they're not always a guarantee. Uh, sometimes there's, there's more men in these churches. And so that can be a problem.
0: Right. Yeah, it's certainly, um, and I would say just from all the young people that I've talked to, like it's certainly a real issue. Um, but, but I would also say like, um, to your point about finding someone who submits to scripture, uh, I met my wife, um, neither of us were really Christians. I mean, we would have told you we were. Um, certainly not patriarchal Christians. Um, and we both probably were in egalitarian mindset. You know, we met in high school and then went to college together. But I do think um, if, if the word of God can transform you and it can transform your wife, and you can learn how to lead her in that, um, then as long as the issue is rooted in scripture, as long as what we're talking about is biblical, um, then you're going to be, you know, you're going to be able to lead your wife in that way. And uh, I'm certainly appreciative of my wife. We've come a long way since we first met. Um, But yeah, just as you mentioned, just being ruled by scripture. And the other thing I would say is, just encouraging people not to give up. Um, you know, Abraham had to send his servant to like a different part of the the world to find a spouse for his son, and he was faithful, and God was faithful, and God provided. So it may take a lot of work um, and a lot of searching out, but um, yeah, just encourage people like Jordan. Don't give up. Um, there are good people out there, and uh, fortunately, even through the podcast. Uh, Facebook, Twitter. I've been able to interface with a lot of people. If I've got five girls who say I can't find a patriarchal husband, and I've got five guys who say I can't find a you know a wife who believes in patriarchy, male headship. Um, certainly, they're out there. Um, so be encouraged and just and just keep networking, uh, getting to know pastors in different churches across the country. Uh, I think that's a good way to go.
1: Absolutely. If I can just add there, yeah, I totally agree. Is you know be patient uh you know i yeah. i do think we should get married younger but you know if you're 25 or 30 or whatever and and you're not married yet um you know stay faithful to the lord and i know he provided a wife for me not when i want it i wanted to get married earlier than i did and but he he brought a, a a good woman my way and so you know god is faithful don't give up um you know and uh, continue in prayer uh but but i also would add that you know as a man especially You know, if you if you study these things from Scripture, you know you can help guide uh, a woman who maybe you know doesn't know as much, but uh, you you can you know kind of guide her in these things in in the in the dating process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a great word. So the um, the last question comes from John, and John says this. He says, "Eric, I can't wait to hear this interview. Uh, I believe he's delving into your book." And he says that it's incredibly convicting already. He says, your, your review of it was accurate and compelling, and I really loved what Zach has to say in terms of content. My question is this, do you run into pastors or people that claim that if you espouse these ideas, you're being too harsh and divisive? How do we balance being winsome and meek like Christ with people while also uh, holding to the truth with boldness? In other words, how do we winsomely entreat the men and women in our lives who, have, who may have very little exposure to biblical masculinity, patriarchy, and sexuality? So I think what John's getting at, Zach, is how do we... Like, if you go out, you've probably heard of the, the phrase being a cage stager. Like, these are the people who, they just learned Calvinism, they're on fire about it, but you got to put them in a cage because they're going to go into the church and just like destroy people. With his newfound truth. Um, This could be that way. So, how do you encourage people to winsomely teach, encourage along the lines of what you've espoused in your book?
1: That's a great question. I think, you know, one thing is to, you need to know what scripture teaches on these things. So, hopefully, my book can help there, but also understanding the culture and where people are coming from. Uh, but a big thing is if we really want to, in a sense, sell patriarchy, you know, convince people of it, I think instead of just condemning feminism, which I think we should, I think feminism's terrible. Uh, I think we also need to, as we've discussed even here is promote the great things about patriarchy. So male protection and, uh, you know, provision and uh really, you know, men are supposed to care for the women in their lives. And so, you know, by God's grace, I think I've I've been able to uh you know convince some women in, in my my own family uh of, of these things. And so, you know, I think you know, everybody out there can do the same. Um and uh y- you know, part of that is talking about the goodness of children and you know, the the household and these kind of things and and, you know, a lot of women really. They don't really want to go work out in, you know, some business job. You know, I had my my sister tried right. that for a little bit. She hated it, you know, so I just was always trying to convince <laughs> her, <laughs> convince her just why don't you just stay at home, you know, have kids and, uh, you know, and I think it might take some time, but a lot of women really come around to it and we can also model it in our own families and they'll say, man, look at how how great that family is, Um, you know, the wife stays at home and look at all their kids and, you know, it's, it's almost rebellious now, you know, to have a stay at home wife.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you bring up a really good point, especially about modeling it. I think that so often, like we think we're going to win people with an argument, certainly arguments and the truth and and, in the format of a book uh, like yours is, um, it's convincing and it's helpful. But I think ultimately, you know, people have to see that lived out in our lives, see patriarchy lived out in our lives in such a way that is uh, winsome in and of itself. Uh, As you said, they see the goodness of it. They come into your home and they say, wow, this is wholesome. Um, The wives are joyful. I think that's one of the things Michael Foster and I have talked a lot about this. But, you know, feminists will say to my wife or his wife, they'll say, oh, I feel so bad for you. And my wife always laughs. She's like, you don't know how good I have it. Like, I'm cared for, I'm protected, I'm so grateful I don't have to be in the workforce. Um, It's a privilege to get to do what I do. Uh, You know, we have a good marriage, we get along. People are always shocked, I think, uh, especially when I was pastoring, about how much counsel I took with my wife because I wanted to know what mattered to her, what her needs were. It's not like... I was just running around, just running her over at all times, being like, it doesn't matter. I'm the man. I get to do everything I want at all times. Uh, but as you said, like to see men serving, providing, caring. Um, and, and as I said in my podcast, uh, the last episode, I said, I read the book and I was humbled by the weightiness of the task that was set before me as a man. Right. And so hopefully, I think as people read this, um, that will. Come to bear in their lives as well
1: yeah I, I hope so i mean that's that's why I wrote it i uh, I want to encourage people and uh, you know help them understand the the duties that God has you know set before us and and his design is good and you know i'm even I wrote the book, but I still have to reflect on these things of course and and uh, try to live them out and and we all fail at times we sin but uh, we repent and we look to God, and we we take up the task He's set before us.
0: Absolutely. Well, Zach, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I want to ask you if you would just tell listeners where the best place to find your book and also more resources from you are.
1: Yeah, masculine Christianity. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. That's the best place to get it, uh, either ebook or paperback.
0: Uh. You said personal resources. Yeah, I know you've got uh, a couple of websites where people can read articles. I know you've written on Amy Bird. I've appreciated that. But just what are the uh, what are the addresses on those? Yeah,
1: so I have two websites that I run. Uh, one is like a Christian education website. And so I write on the subject of education. But a lot of it's just resources uh, for homeschool parents, especially. And that's uh, TeachDiligently.com. And then uh, the site I'm a little more active on is my Bible website uh, that my friend Daniel Hoffman also writes on. And that's knowing scripture.com. And so I'm, if, if you really want, uh, you know, studies in, in the Bible and we try to tackle hard questions, uh, I guess now I'm tackling some controversial things with, with gender roles. Uh, that's the place to go. Knowing scripture.com. Awesome. And I believe you're even on Twitter now. Is that right? I am. Yeah. Zachary Garris. So I, uh, trying to get a little more active on there.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a dumpster fire there on Twitter. So (laughs) it's a blessing and a curse. It is. That's, that's (laughs) awesome. Well, Zach, I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I'll provide links uh, for all our listeners. I'll provide those in the show notes. And again, I would just encourage you to check out Zach's book, been incredibly helpful in my life. This is the book that I've been looking for on biblical patriarchy. So again, Zach, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks again for checking out this episode of the Hard Men podcast. i also like to thank all of our Patreon supporters, especially those who have joined us in the last couple of weeks. We really appreciate your support. For those VIP supporters, pint glasses are coming. Just a little bit of a delay with the shipping because of everything going on with the virus situation. But rest easy, those pint glasses will be on the way. And again, we really appreciate your support. Be sure to check out the show notes. You'll find more information about Zach's book and websites. Again, I highly commend those to you. And until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.